Welcome to another edition of Focus on the Kingdom. This is Anthony Buzzard inviting you again to search the Scriptures with us as we continue to investigate Jesus' favorite topic, the Gospel about the Kingdom of God. It's a very obvious fact that Jesus was concerned with one overwhelming task. His mission, as he described it himself, was to preach the gospel, or good news, about the kingdom of God. Now, in our time, it seems there's a great deal of confusion about the meaning of that term, kingdom. And yet, you know, Jesus did not have to give a definition of the expression kingdom of God when he announced it as being at hand. Take your Bible, for example, and look up the beginning of the ministry of Jesus. In Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, we have a summary statement of the whole missionary activity of Jesus laid out for us with complete clarity. In Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, we read that Jesus came into Galilee announcing God's gospel. That's a gospel or good news coming from the highest authority in the universe, Jesus terms it there, God's gospel, the gospel of God himself, a message of salvation emanating from the very throne of heaven and therefore having absolute significance for us as human beings. The question is, have we understood what God's gospel is? If we have, then we've understood the secret of Christianity. But to be confused or in any way uncertain about the meaning of God's gospel here means that we get off on the wrong foot at the very beginning of our studies of Jesus Christ and his message. God's gospel is defined by Jesus almost immediately. In the next verse, in verse 15 of Mark 1, we read that Jesus said, The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel, in God's gospel about the kingdom of God. Immediately then, God's gospel is given a label. It's given a definition. It has a subject matter. And that subject matter is defined very clearly here as the kingdom of God. Pause for a moment and think about these momentous words of Jesus Christ. What we have here in the opening chapter of Mark is a summary statement of the whole point of the Christian faith. Jesus lays down a foundational principle, and it is that we are to believe in God's gospel concerning the kingdom of God. Gospel, you know, is the message of salvation. The message of salvation, therefore, is inextricably bound up with Jesus' information about the kingdom. That's absolutely plain from these opening summary statements of the whole of Jesus' missionary activity. So what then is the kingdom of God? It must be obvious that it's impossible for us to repent and believe in the gospel about the kingdom if we're in any doubt about the meaning of that word kingdom. How are we going to define it? Words and the meanings of words, of course, derive their significance from the context. And what is the context here? Well, it's the whole of the Hebrew Bible on which Jesus was nourished. The place to begin in defining the kingdom of God is in the background of Jesus himself. The first major point to realize in any study of the Bible is that Jesus was a Jew, a first century Palestinian Jew, speaking to Jewish people. Now, when Jesus used the phrase kingdom of God, he meant to be understood. It is a matter of plain common sense to recognize that the term kingdom of God must have been one understood by Jesus' audience. It makes no sense at all that Jesus and John the Baptist before him would come into Galilee, or in the case of John the Baptist, 
to the northern point of the Dead Sea and announced the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, those two phrases are absolutely interchangeable, that they would announce the kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God without assigning a meaning to that phrase. The very fact that John the Baptist and Jesus introduced the phrase kingdom of God without further explanation tells us that it was a phrase well understood by their audiences. The question for us then today is, what does that term kingdom of God mean? As Jesus announced it at the heart of his gospel, Remember now that we're dealing with the gospel, and the gospel has to do with salvation. What we believe by way of the gospel is critical for our ultimate success as Christians, and indeed our ultimate destiny. There can be no more important question for us as followers of Jesus than to get hold of his fundamental term, kingdom of God, since he asks us as his first command, to repent and believe in the good news about that kingdom of God. In order to establish the meaning of the term kingdom of God, we must go to the Jewish background out of which Jesus taught. Remember that Jesus was a Jew whose theology, whose way of thinking, everything he said about God and life and destiny owed its origin to the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament. Fortunately, we have the very same Old Testament Hebrew Bible that Jesus possessed. And so we must look then in the pages of that Hebrew Bible to find out what would have been meant by the term kingdom of heaven. Our studies will take us to the book of Daniel, a well-beloved book by Jesus. He referred to it often. And in the pages of the book of Daniel, we find the answer we're looking for. In chapter 2 of Daniel and verse 44, we read these momentous words. In the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed, and that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these former kingdoms, and it will itself endure forever. Did you catch the extraordinary implications of this marvelous passage from the book of Daniel, defining for us in a very clear way the meaning of our principal term, kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God. In Daniel 2.44, we read that the God of heaven will set up a kingdom. Now, that, naturally enough, came to be the kingdom of heaven. It's the kingdom of heaven because the God of heaven establishes it. But it's most important to notice where this kingdom is going to be established. If you go back to the dream vision of which Daniel 2.44 is an interpretation, you will find that there are four beast-like kingdoms enumerated here. They are pictured under the image of a great single statue in Daniel 2 verse 31. It was large and extraordinarily splendid in appearance, and the features of this awesome image or statue were as follows. In Daniel 2.32 we read that the head of that statue was made of fine gold, its breast and its arms made of silver, its belly and its thighs were made of bronze, and its legs were of iron, and its feet partly of iron and partly of brittle clay. We read now of the fate of this statue. In verse 34, we see that a stone was cut out without hands, a supernatural stone, that is, and it struck the statue on its feet of iron and brittle clay, and 
crushed them. Then the iron, the clay, and the bronze, the silver and the gold were crushed all at the same time, and they became like chaff from the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them was found. But the stone that struck the statue on its feet became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Now it's quite clear from this description of the fate of the massive and awesome statue that it was going to be superseded by a great mountain which filled the entire earth. Now it's important to make it absolutely clear that we're dealing here with the future of world politics. This is not some ethereal kingdom off in outer space somewhere. It has to do with the earth being filled with this mountain. And we'll look at the interpretation of the word mountain in just a moment. But the earth is the place where the kingdom, the fifth kingdom which supersedes the beast-like kingdoms, is going to reside. What is absolutely clear from the interpretation of this vision is that the kingdom of God is going to be located on this planet. It's as much a kingdom on this globe as the kingdoms that precede it. The kingdoms of the world, these beast-like kingdoms, are going to be followed by the establishment of the kingdom of God on the earth. And so you see the kingdom of heaven, as is described in Daniel 2 verse 44, the kingdom which the God of heaven sets up is not a kingdom in heaven. It's a kingdom coming from heaven. That is proven by the simple fact that in Daniel 2 verse 35, it's the whole earth that's going to be filled with the presence of this fifth kingdom. The kingdom there is likened to a mountain. The kingdom of God will have the prominence of a mountain and its effects and its influence will spread to the far reaches of the earth. This extraordinary prediction of a new world order on the earth superseding existing world governments instituted by man forms the heart and the center of Jesus' gospel. When Jesus came into Galilee saying, The kingdom of God is at hand, his audiences recognized at once that he was speaking of the well-known national hope of the Israelite people. And that national hope involved the coming in the future by divine promise of a worldwide theocracy or government of God, kingdom of God, as described there in Daniel chapter 2. There could be few more basic and essential lessons in Bible study than to identify and recognize the kingdom of God as a well-known prophetic term found throughout the Hebrew Bible. Daniel 2 verse 44 is one only of a vast number of passages which describe the coming of the kingdom of God. The exact phrase kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven is not found in the Old Testament, but the idea of the kingdom under various descriptions is found constantly. Wherever we learn that God is going to reign, we're speaking of the kingdom of God. Daniel 2 unmistakably points to this earth transformed and renewed as the scene of that future kingdom, and it's of that future kingdom that Jesus spoke when he urged his audiences as he urges us today to repent and believe in the stupendous fact of the future coming of a world revolutionary government, the kingdom instituted by heaven itself, the kingdom of God. 
It's important to notice that when Jesus issued his first and fundamental command, repent and believe in the gospel about the kingdom, that he was not just urging a change of lifestyle, the giving up of bad habits and so on, although that, of course, is included. It's turning away from our previous ambitions and lifestyles and turning towards the coming of the kingdom in the future. Belief in the kingdom of God means aligning ourselves with God's own great plan for the restoration of peace and harmony on this earth. Repentance means a complete new orientation towards life, a new set of goals and perspectives in view of the coming destiny of man. The question for all of us is, will we be prepared to enter the kingdom when it comes? John the Baptist and Jesus after him laid before the public and their words continue to lay before the public to this day two possible destinies, either to enter the kingdom of God as a co-regent with Jesus in that future kingdom or to be destroyed shamefully as chaff blown away by the wind. This is exactly the pattern we find in the opening ministry of John the Baptist. He announced the kingdom of God as being at hand. And as we read in Matthew 3, verse 7, when John saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees, the religious leaders of the day, coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Our time is running out for today. We invite you to request from us our free book on the kingdom of God, also a booklet entitled, What Happens When We Die? Meanwhile, join us again as we continue with our investigation of Jesus' favorite topic, the gospel about the kingdom of God.